All right, and good morning, Ridge Point Church. We're glad that you're here this morning. How is everybody doing this morning? Good, good. I'm glad you're doing well because, uh, man, I got a sore back after yesterday. Uh, man, we had, again, I just want to add to, everyone's been talking about this, but just to add to the appreciation that's going on. For everyone that was here uh, yesterday, we had people moving stuff all over the building. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit later on about why we're doing that, but we had people moving couches upstairs. Uh, if you're part of the crew that's moving couches upstairs, we had to hang stuff off like the balcony and get it through and all that stuff. We have a lifetime supply of Bengay available at the back door on the way out today. Just, just saying, it was, it was crazy. There's a lot of stuff going on. You guys can see we knocked out some, some side rooms and they're still holding ceilings. We're talking more about why we're doing that a little bit later on, but I just want to add to the appreciation for everyone who showed up. Uh, if you weren't able to take part and you still want to help out, or even if you were, obviously we still have some work to do over the next couple of weeks. There's plenty of stuff to be done. So if you have some free time, don't matter when, if you want to come help out, we'd appreciate that. We got some more painting to do. So just thank everyone for all the stuff, all the painting, everything that happened yesterday. Everyone did a great job. Uh, we kicked off last week a series it's called Why Behind the What? And Why Behind the What was... We call it a vision casting series where we look at, okay, what are some of the things that we're trying to accomplish as a church? And every once in a while, I think it's a good idea if we don't just answer what are we doing, but we answer the question, okay, why are we doing the things that we're doing? Last week, we kicked off this series talking about international missions. Why as a church do we not just support international missions, but we actually engage in being a part in serving on the international mission field? Uh, obviously, we have some people, if you've been around for a while, you know we have five people that over the last couple of years were kind of cultivating and, and growing here at Rich Point Church that are now living in the Dominican Republic. And then as, as a church, over the last four years, we've taken a number of mission trips to Honduras, to the Dominican Republic, to the Philippines. And we asked the question, why is that a big deal for us? And last week, the big idea was when something good happens, we want to tell people. But when something great happens, we want to tell everyone that every one of us is unique, that God created us specifically for a purpose. And it doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter what what nation we live in or what what the color of our skin is. That everyone, once we realize the grace and, and, and just the supremacy of who Jesus is, once we realize how amazing he is in our life, it should be on our lips every day that we want to tell not just the people that we see on a regular basis, But we literally want everyone to experience the grace and knowledge of who he is. And the more we pursue Christ, the more we start to get a picture of who he is, the more we want the whole world to hear that message. And so last week we looked a little bit at the the early church, how the gospel started to spread. We looked at some scripture where it talked about going to all the nations. And we said, if something great happens to us, we want everyone to know about it. Today we're going to talk about that on a local level. And honestly, I could have taken that same point, that same idea... Uh, put it into today's message and said, you know what, the same message applies. When something great happens, we want to tell everyone. But instead, we're going to change the focus a little bit as we focus on, okay, what does that mean for us here as a church? See, we have a strategy as a church. We call it build and bring. And the idea behind our strategy of reaching people in our own area is that we build relationships with people. We genuinely build relationships with people And through building those relationships, we earn the right to be heard. And as we earn the right to be heard and talk to them about Jesus and talk to them about about what's happening here at church, we earn the right to invite them to to be a part of what's happening here. And more importantly, to invite them to be a part of what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And so today we're going to talk about this idea of what it means to, to build and to bring. That's our strategy as a church. And so why do we do that? Why is that our strategy? We're going to get into that. We're going to talk about the building. We have a lot to accomplish this morning. So let's get into this. Some of you probably heard this story this week, but there's a story that was going around. It made the national news 
about Oprah Winfrey. Did anybody hear about Oprah Winfrey this week? This was a crazy story. Uh, Oprah Winfrey was shopping. She was in Switzerland, and she was out shopping, and she was in a high-end store. She was looking at purses, and she saw a particular purse that she found really attractive, and she wanted to know the price of the purse. Unfortunately, the lady behind the counter had no idea who the customer was she was dealing with. Oprah Winfrey last year made $300 million. She's estimated to be worth over $2 billion. The purse was a very high-end purse. It was $38,000 just for the purse, which is crazy. If I was there, I have no business looking at that purse. Not that I'd want a purse, but for my wife. But, but uh, so, so she looks at this purse, and she says, you know what? I want to check out that purse. It was actually a purse that had been made for Jennifer Aniston, who decided she didn't want it. And so Oprah Winfrey turns to the clerk and says, I'd like to look at the purse. And the clerk said, oh, man, maybe you'd rather look at something not quite as expensive. And it was Oprah Winfrey, worth $300 made $300 million last year. For her, $38,000 is like chump change. And so Oprah Winfrey said, okay, that's fine. And she walked away, and they lost the sale. And eventually the, the owner of the store realized who it was. She apologized profusely, and she said, it's fine. I really didn't need a $38,000 purse anyway. It's all good. But if that was us... If right now you and I had gotten together and we started a store up and we're trying to sell high-end purses for some reason, and Oprah Winfrey, of all people, walks into our store, we would go out of our way to make sure she felt, wel- she felt welcomed. We'd go out of our way. We'd want to show her the finest things because we knew that she had power, that she had influence, and maybe she'd go and buy this purse or maybe she'd go and put it on air and everyone would come to our store and buy these purses. And because she is a person of, of power and of influence, We'd want to go out of our way to make her feel welcome. But as we approach Scripture and see how God deals with things, God doesn't play preferential treatment with people. Because when it comes to God, every life has value. And having money, having authority, having power, all of those things don't really amount to much in the counsel of God. One of the best stories I can think to illustrate this. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Luke. For me, this is one of my favorite stories to illustrate this point. Because we have a person of power, we have a person of prestige that's, that's present, but he's not even going to be a main character in what we talk about this morning. Luke chapter 8, we see uh, Jesus, Jesus coming, and we're actually going to look at this from two different points of view. We're going to look at it from the points of view of the two main characters. The first person is this woman who has no power, has no influence. In fact, she's kind of neglected by the world. And then next, we're going to look at it from the point of uh, view of Jesus, who is the one who's about to, to, to take care of business, to heal her and all of that. And, and we're going to look at this, Luke chapter 8. And, and if you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. And they give account of Jesus' life. And they each look at Jesus' life from a different perspective. This story that we're looking at is actually found in some of the other Gospels. I was reading it in, in the Gospel of Mark as well. But I'm looking at it from Luke because Luke was actually a physician. Uh, he knew the details of this woman has this particular issue. He knows the details. He's a careful historian. So we're going to look at Luke's account of, of this story. And it says, Luke chapter 8, verse 40. There's, there's a first character that's going to come in the scene and, and then a lady we're going to talk about. But it says, now when Jesus returned, in verse 40, now when Jesus returned... The crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jerus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Jerus, as a ruler of the synagogue, he, he, he was actually in charge of, of the services that were happening at synagogue. Uh, if you look at the early rulers of the synagogue, they were probably Pharisees. So Jerusalem was a person who had power, 
He had authority. He had influence. He probably had the financial means to, to take care of things. But here's one of the things, and, and, and maybe you've either seen families that deal with a situation like this, or maybe you've been through a situation like this yourself. But as a parent, I could think of nothing more devastating than to find out your child is, is sick, and even sick to the point of death. And, and, and as, as, as a dad, he wants to do whatever he can to take care of this. My daughter's sick. She's only 12 years old. I have power. I have money. But there's nothing I can do to heal my daughter. Like, I want to make sure she's well. I want to make sure she's taken care of. I have money. I would throw money at this. I, would, I have power. I have, I have people that I know that can do a lot of really, really great things. But they can't heal my daughter. And so as a ruler of a synagogue, probably as, as a Pharisee, he had, he had tried so many different means to try to have his daughter healed. And he finally, in this last-ditch effort, turns to Jesus. Now, Jesus and many of the Pharisees had had, and they're about to have, some, some friction. They're not always getting along, but this guy says, I don't care about any of that stuff. My daughter's sick. I want to make sure she's well. Now, if Jesus ever wants to perform a miracle that's going to that's gonna wow the crowds... This guy has power. This guy has influence. If his daughter is healed, I mean, the, the, the Pharisees could take notice. The, the, the crowd, it said there's a crowd here. The crowd could take notice. If, if there's a miracle that Jesus is going to perform, it's going to have that wow factor. This is it. And so he comes in and he begs of Jesus. Jesus, my, my, my daughter's sick. I, I want to make sure she's well. I want to make sure that she's taken care of. And, and it's his only daughter. She's 12 years old. She's dying. And you would think, okay, at, at that point, that's all that matters. For Jesus, for the crowd, that's all that matters. And in fact, they start to, to venture off. And we're not going to have time this morning to finish that story. Just to let you know, later on, they get word that the child has died. Jesus heals her, and she, she's fine. But before that happens, where we're going to pick up the story today is on the journey to go see the daughter, something happens. And it shows that in, in, in God's counsel, every life has value says this, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood. She, her, she had a hemorrhage, and she had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. This woman doesn't have power. She doesn't have influence. In fact, she's a woman, which means she doesn't have the power, in, in their, especially in her culture. She doesn't have the, the power, the authority that men did, especially a religious leader like Jerusalem. She didn't have money. She wasted all of her money, or she used all of her money, spent all of her money trying to get herself healed. And on top of that, because of the particular issue that she had, she was cons- considered ceremonially unclean. So even the other people that were there wouldn't want to even touch her. So, so where you have Jerusalem who has power and his influence is really, really important. He has money. He has all the means necessary that, that if, if it were us, this is for us, this is Oprah Winfrey. He has the power. He has the influence. He's the guy that we go out of our way to make sure he feels welcome and, and make sure he's taken care of. On the other side, you have this, this woman who has nothing. She doesn't have power. She doesn't have influence. In fact, no one wants to even have anything to do with her. But she wants to know Jesus. And so she comes and, and she reaches up and she touches just the fringe of his garment, saying, if I can just have just a little bit of Jesus. 
If I can just touch the fringe of his garment, I know something's going to happen. And as soon as she does that, it says immediately the discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said this, who is it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she'd been immediately healed. So here's what happened. You have Jerusalem, he has all the power, all the influence, and all the money. And you have this woman who isn't even named. And she comes and she says, I just want to touch the fringe of the garment of Jesus because I believe that in Jesus there's healing. And she comes with no power, no influence, no authority. And she touches the fringe of his garment. Now, obviously, Jesus is God. He's fully God. He's fully cognizant of what's happening. But as he's walking, he feels her tug on the garment. And he says, hold on a second. Everybody stop. And everyone stops. And he says, someone just touched me. And I'm sure that Peter almost says, is kind of mocking Jesus. And he says, Jesus, are you kidding me? Like, everyone's crowding around you. Of course someone just touched you. You just stopped. We were all walking, and you just stopped. Like, people are like, probably bumping into you. I, I get that that just happened. And Jesus says, no, something different just happened. And finally, this woman who has no power, who has no influence, has no, who has no authority, comes forward and says, it, it, it was me. And I want to tell you my story. See, when I touched you, I was healed. And she tells of, of what happened. Here's the cool thing about grace. Grace is such that, that our authority, our, our influence, all those things, we can't purchase grace. Grace can never be earned at all. And so because of that, in the counsel of God, when he looks at us, it doesn't matter if we're Oprah Winfrey making $300 million this year, or if it's you or me. Our life has, has value. Our life has significant value. And that's why we do the things we do because we know that when we leave here this morning and when we go out and, and maybe some of you are going out to lunch and, and there's going to be a waitress that's waiting on your table. And, and it's important for us to picture when we get this idea of what Build and Bring is about is that every life has value. And so the person that comes to wait on us, her life or his life has value. The person that we pass that maybe they're walking across the street in front of us in a crosswalk as we're stopped at a red light, their life has value. We have some teachers that are, that are going uh, to, to work with our students for the first time this week. They're getting a whole new crop of students. And for each of those teachers, each of those children in their classroom, their life has value. Their co-teachers have value. The people that you work with, they have value. And so it is incumbent upon us to look at things the way Jesus looked at it, to realize grace can't be earned. There's nothing special about any one of us. And so because of that, if every life has value, then it's incumbent upon us to reach out, to build relationships, and to bring those people to Jesus. And invite them to be a part of what's happening here at our church. That's the philosophy behind Build a Bring. Because this, this lady, she had nothing going for her. She was broken. She was, she was financially broke. She was, she was in ruins physically. People don't want anything to do with her. And she says, but her life has value. And I'm about to use her to reveal the glory of God in this world. For this woman, she was one that would have been neglected. She's the one that would have been forgotten. People would have just forgot about her. She was, if, if you play sports, she was a teammate that nobody wanted who got picked last. She was a girl at school that, that no one would talk to and would sit there by herself. She's the coworker that no one wants to socialize with and no one wants to hang out with outside of work. 
for every one of us, those lives have value. And so here's what happens. We start to view things the way Jesus views things. We start to realize that, okay, if every life has value and grace can't be earned, it's not about how important someone is or how politically connected someone is, but if their life has value, then it is on us to build those relationships because one or two people can't do this. It's on all of us to say, I need to build up those relationships. I need to look for chances because, unfortunately, here's what starts to happen to to those of us who follow Christ. And this normally happens within the first two years of us giving our life completely to Christ. Is that we start to socialize with people in the church a whole lot more than we socialize with people outside of the church. And so our main relationships, and there's something healthy about this, don't get me wrong. But our main relationships happen right here. And it's hard for us, and it has to become intentional on our part to look for relationships with those that are outside of faith, that are outside of Christ, and say, what can I do to somehow embody Jesus in this person's life? Those relationships we're looking to form don't just happen. It has to be us intentionally looking to build relationships. To say, I want to be on the lookout. I want to look out for people that are in need. And I want to genuinely build relationships in order that I could share my faith with them and, or that I could invite them to church or, or do one of those things so I can see some spiritual traction happen in people's lives. Instead, here's what, here's what we do. Because we start to hear messages or we, we just start to think, okay, I should probably be doing more of this. And, 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 and people know, people know when we're genuine, like do we actually care about people and are we taking time to invest in them? And a lot of times we say, okay, I want to do more of this. And we kind of do like cold call evangelism. We kind of like throw a Bible at them and say, okay, here, just this will fix all your needs. And we we do this like real, real quick. And we're like, what happened to the relational aspect? What happened to actually caring about people? There's actually a movie, and we're going to show a clip from that movie in just a second. There's a movie, I think, that is just this great theological movie uh, that talks about this. I I say it's a great theological movie because it's Nacho Libre. Uh, for those who saw that, we're going to show a clip from that in just a second. But, but it's, it's this, this scene where I, I think that unfortunately it's kind of a humorous scene. But, but I think this is one of those things that sometimes we as, as followers of Christ can be guilty of is that we tend to focus on all the person needs to care about is, is Jesus. And if they just get Jesus, everything else in their life is going, to worry, is going to work out. But in reality, they're in the midst of turmoil and they're in the midst of conflict. And, and they look at us as, as for them, we're the outsiders And they look at us as the outsiders, and we come in and say, hey, here's a Bible to fix all your needs. And they're like, wait a minute, my bills, like, are piling up, and I don't know what to do. And my my relationship, my marriage is being destroyed, and I don't know what to do. And and, and my my health is is deteriorating, and I don't know what to do when we come. And, And we have the answer. We have the answer to their deepest need, but they don't see that right away. And we don't take time to build the relationship up. And when we don't do that, we become guilty of this clip right here. So check it out. I'm a little concerned right now about your salvation and stuff. How come you have not been baptized? Because I never got around to it, okay? I don't know why you always have to be judging me. Because I only believe in science. But tonight, we are going up against Satan's caveman. And I just thought it would be a good idea if you... 
Felicidades. I'm a little bit worried about your salvation, so let me just go ahead and throw you, your head in some water, and it's all going to be good. And, and we look at that, and that's humorous, and we're like, that's crazy. We would never be like that, and we wouldn't. But sometimes the world looks at it and says, that's exactly how we come across. The, the big idea today is, is this idea that we can't earn grace, but we can earn the right to dispense grace. Not, it, not with God. God's, God is the one who dispenses grace, and he's the one that, that freely dispenses grace to us. But I'm talking about as we relate to other people. I can't do anything to earn God's grace. That's God's favor. That's, that's God showering me with, with his love and his mercy. I can't earn grace. But once I possess grace, once I realize the grace of God in my life, I can earn the right to be heard with the people that I come in contact with, by building up those relationships. And by through those relationships, getting a chance to share about the greatness of God in my life. See, I think some of us are guilty of this, that we think we have to have like this Bible college background or we have to go to seminary to have all this great teaching to be able to, to lead a Bible study or to, to share our faith. When we look at the early followers of Jesus, they didn't have a lot of education. In fact, a lot of the religious elite were the people that were the ones throwing stones and, and being mad at Jesus. But Jesus takes common everyday people and he shakes their world and he changes their world. And as he changes their world and, and they realize the grace of God in their life, they don't have all the Bible memorized and they don't have the, the Romans road maybe you grew up with and have all the verses figured out and charted and all that stuff. What they know is that God had entered their life and God had changed their life and they wanted everyone else to experience that in the way that they had. We can't earn that grace. That grace is God's unmerited favor that God gives that to us. But once we possess that grace, we can earn the right in people's lives to be able to share that grace with them. How do we do that? By building genuine relationships. We can't just fly in and say, I'm going to baptize you and dunk your head in some water and everything's going to be okay. Instead, I take the time and, and I get messy. See, people's lives are messy. And part of the reason why we don't want to get involved is because there's drama and there's stuff going on in their life. And when we enter into their life, we know that as they're messy, we're going to get messy ourselves. And so because of that, it's a whole lot cleaner, it's a whole lot safer if I just stay at arm's length. And I'll share Jesus with them as much as I possibly can, but I don't want to enter their life because I know that it gets messy. And that can become really, really difficult, it can become really dangerous, but I believe there's a way for all of us to maintain the integrity of what it means to walk with Christ and still live in the midst of messy lives. Because I'm so thankful that in my past, my life was messy, there were people who interjected themselves in my life and cared about me that much. And the truth is, for each one of us, our lives are still messy. We still make mistakes. And there are people that are still entering into our life and caring about us and loving us. And in fact, God created us to be in a relationship with people that we care about. So our whole philosophy of build and bring is saying, what can we do to build those relationships? What can we do to reach out to people that they're outside of faith, or maybe they're in faith and they're struggling, or maybe they're in faith and they're growing? But what can I do to build those relationships? And then through the, the building of that relationship, I earn the right to be heard. That happens on an individual level. But then as we partner together as a church, our goal is to try to create irresistible environments that make it as easy as possible for when you, when you build up those relationships to make it as easy as possible to invite your friends that say, man, there's no way in the world 
I would ever go to church. And they show up at church, and, and we get this almost every time, and I think it's going to become even more obvious in the next couple of weeks, but we get this all the time. When I first started here, we were doing a set design on, on a Saturday night, getting things set up for a Sunday morning, and someone knocked on the door. They were looking for help, assistance in some area. They knocked on the door, and, and I brought them inside, and when they walked inside, they said, wow, I never expected this from the outside of this church. We want to create environments where people feel welcome, where people feel comfortable. We love when someone comes in and says, wow, I wasn't expecting that. And so a couple of weeks, and God's been kind of orchestrating this whole thing. Uh, as, as over the last couple of months, for those who've been with Ridge Point for a while, you know, for a while the building was on the market. We were looking to, to get a little bit bigger facility and be able to do some different things. And, and it seemed like God kept saying, that door's closed, that door's closed. And so a couple of months ago, the staff and trustees together, we were praying about it, decided to take the building off the market and we said, okay, if we're going to do that, if this is where God has us, if this is what we're supposed to be doing, then what can we do to, to create the best environments possible to invite people to be a part of what's happening? And so the changes that happened over this past weekend that are just really beginning, we're calling this kind of phase 1A, uh, getting ready for, for next week. You know, summertime ends, everyone goes back to school this week, and so people... Some vacations will be over and we'll start seeing, you know, the crowds start growing hopefully over the next couple of weeks. And as that happens, we want to create an environment that, that captures people's attention. And so the biggest hang-up we've had for the last couple of months was over in children's ministry. Uh, especially if you check your kids in or out in between the services, it always got backed up and there's a lot of stuff going on. So there's a different checkout procedure. We brought all the children downstairs. In fact, that was a lot of the work that was happening yesterday was moving all the office stuff upstairs, moving the children's ministry downstairs. There's still some painting and stuff that has to happen downstairs to get all that finished. We're still doing some stuff upstairs. But uh, if you're a volunteer, our green room, we have a green room for our volunteers. If you're not a volunteer, this might be a good reason to volunteer. We have a green room for our volunteers on Sunday morning. We give them some food, some drinks, all that stuff to kind of hang out before and after the service. The green room's upstairs. All the offices are upstairs. And all the children's ministry is now located downstairs right behind the stage here and over where the check-in used to be at. Also in here in the auditorium, some changes that are coming and some things I want to let you know about. First of all, for some of you, this is going to be great news. Uh, next week, starting next week, the coffee bar is back. Uh, so all you guys that are coffee drinkers uh, represent. That's, that's not me. I don't know why. I just never gotten a coffee. But back in the back, that, that black cart there, that will be the, the new coffee bar. So get here early. We'll have a chance for you to hang out, socialize, get to know some different people. So the coffee bar will be back in the back. Uh, we'd love for you to hang out. We'll create environments just specifically to do that before and after the service. Uh, also, probably the biggest, most notable change when you walked in this morning is we used to have these two rooms right here. Uh, yesterday, we got in here, and you should have seen the mess. When I said pardon our dust last week, uh, if you'd have been here about 3 o'clock yesterday, uh, there was stuff all over the place. They did a great job cleaning up. But, but here's what happened. A, a while back, we had the two TVs. One of the TVs had gone out, and so we knocked both TVs out. And it was going to be really expensive to fix. It would have been cheaper just to get new, some new TVs. But God started working out some details that were, he was way ahead of us on all of this. Uh, we, we were looking at that, and, and one of our contractors came, so why don't we just knock those closets down? I said, that's actually what we'd love to do, but we don't know the cost. And he said, no, they're, they're not holding anything up. We just knock it down. It wouldn't cost anything. So yesterday we had some contractors that go to church here that came in and helped us out, and we had some workers come and help out and knocked all of that out. At the same time, there's someone else that's affiliated with the church uh, that does a lot of AV setup type stuff. And so I called him up and said, hey, could you come? I want to talk to you about some things you want to do in here. And I said, if we do this, this was a couple weeks ago, I said, if we do this, we'd really like to have like three screens, projector screens up on the wall. But what would that look like and what's the cost behind it? 
And he said, well, how big of a screen do you want? I said, I don't know. You're the expert. You tell me. And he's like, here's why I'm asking. He had gone up to Alabama to install a, a screen, a couple of screens up in Alabama at a church in Alabama. And he ordered eight-foot screens. When we got up there, they delivered 12-foot screens. And he said, we don't need those screens. They, they couldn't use them. We had to order the other screens. They're just sitting in my warehouse. You guys can have the screens. And so, yeah, really cool. That's an incredible story. Uh, so actually right back here on the back of the stage, those are the two screens will be up on the side. Uh, he's actually hoping to come in this week. We're going to have one more screen that, that we purchased. It's going to go right up here. Uh, those who've been here before and we're trying to do baptism, you know, that we're like pulling on the screen trying to get it up and, and it never seems to work. And, and, and if you're the guy praying and you hear them like pulling that screen, you're trying to extend your prayer long enough to get the screen up. We don't want to deal with that anymore. So we're actually going to have an electric motorized screen. So we just have to be, hit a button and it goes up and down. So we're going to have, it's going to be almost wall-to-wall screens up here. So we're actually going to knock out a little more of the ceiling to be able to do that. Uh, just some, some really cool things we want to be able to do to create an environment that's, that's even more appealing. We think we do a really good job at this. But to create an environment that's even more appealing. Now that's going to be phase 1A because we'll have three screens. We'll have some lights and stuff for it. But eventually we're going to want to, we, we had money to do some of the other stuff. But we want to have three projectors which we don't have money for right now. We'll work towards that, but eventually we'll have like a panoramic screen up there. The screens will be there now. Eventually we'll get those projectors and all that stuff worked out. Two more things and we'll finish up. Uh, one thing, and this is probably the thing I'm most excited about, is, is for a while our host team does an incredible job week in, week out of, of greeting people, shaking hands, uh, let, you know, passing out invite cards, and uh, info cards, connection cards, all that stuff. But we're going to make a little bit of a change with, with the host team. Because and it's a little bit confusing because we have the host team and then we have the host up on stage and then we have group hosts and like everybody's a host. Uh, and so whenever, whenever I invite you to be a part of the host, so I'm like, wait, the host team? or the, I understand that's, that's a, a conflict there. And also the way we term, you know, our, the terminology we use is, is a really, really big deal. We want to be about building relationships and bringing people to church. That, that's this focus. That's this philosophy. When we talk about those people, and, and terminology can be, it, it's, sometimes it doesn't seem like it's a big deal, but it can be. We talk about visitors coming to the church. If you get a visitor at your house, sometimes a visitor is unannounced, and they're not expected. Whereas when you have a guest, a guest is someone you're expecting, that you're excited for them to be here. We want people, when they come here to church, first of all, we want people to feel expected, and we want people to feel welcomed. And so just the terminology change, and I've used it over the last couple of weeks just kind of as a sign of what was coming. But instead of calling it the host team, we're going to call it guest services. And guest services, there's going to be some things they're going to be able to do to kind of create a little bit more of that feel, uh, including the coffee bar and stuff like that. So if you're on the host team, you're now guest services. We'll talk more about that coming up. But guest services uh, is, is really the, the front door for people to start to feel welcome about what we're doing at church. So host team is coming guest services. I'm really excited about some things that they're going to be doing to to even more make people feel welcome, feel comfortable coming to church. And the last thing, uh, even before people get to our guest services, sometimes the first place people go way before they come to the church, what's the first place a lot of people have any knowledge of our church from? Our church website, which in the past wasn't always really conducive to what we're doing. If you went to the church website before, it was really clunky. It was hard to update. Uh, even from the back end, it was hard to, to, for us to be able to do the support on it. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've actually had the website launched, but we kind of were waiting for this morning to kind of say, okay, here's, here's what a new website's going to be like. So we have three screenshots of the website 
that will just give it more of a little bit of a, of a Ridge Point Church feel. And so the first picture is actually of, of the front page of the website. This is what you see if you go to the, the homepage. It's ridgepointchurch.org or if you go to jeanswelcome.com, we have that domain name as well. Very simple, very clean, has logo on it. Uh, there, that picture, Rich Point Church Welcome, is actually a scrolling picture. There's some different things that pop up here. But there's some things, if you're new here, if you're next steps, you can click on those things, connect, services, listen online, I'll get to in a second. There's a giving page. So that's the, that's the front page, the home page when you go to the website. The second one, uh, the second picture here is if you click on, if you're new here, if someone's never been to our church before and we want to let them know, here's what, here are some things that you can expect. They click on new here, they get a little bit of a picture of what happens here at the church. Uh, if they scroll down, they can read a little bit about what our church is about. Uh, click on the next tab, it talks about the times. Next tab will click on the, will be the location. The next tab will give them a little bit of our mission and beliefs as a church. And the last one, I think the one that I was probably most excited about on the website was if you click on listen and launch our media player. Before, if you clicked on it, it was really kind of hard to do the podcasting and stuff. You go to iTunes, you could do that, but, but on the website itself, it was really, really difficult. We're working on the iTunes account that, that won't be fully updated right now. But if you go to the website, it's really clean, it's really easy to use. So if someone misses out on a week before, it's sometimes hard to point them to exactly where to go to listen to a message. Now, when this screen pops up, it's so clean, it's, no nice, it's so nice that I want to like click on all of the things. Like it's so, it's so cool to look at. So yeah, so it's really easy. And, and really, Chris, uh, Chris Neff, our director of connections, he's done a lot of work on the website. So just everything that we're doing is trying to create environments from the time someone becomes familiar with our church to create environments to say, we want it to be, listen, we're never going to water down the message of the gospel. The gospel is challenging. It, it raises the bar in all of our lives. But sometimes as churches across our country, we make it more difficult by becoming so churchy. Things that aren't even biblical at all, but we make it really, really churchy. And it makes it hard for an, for, for an unchurched person to come in and they feel very, I don't know what's going on. And, and this whole thing is so confusing. And so we want to make it on our end as easy as possible. We want to raise the bar when it comes to the gospel. We want to make it on our end as easy as possible. That when you build relationships... And you bring those people to church. We want them to know that they're welcomed, that we've been expecting them, not in some weird stalker way, but that, that we're, we're, we want them to be part of what's happening. And this is a big deal. Not just to come to be a guest for one Sunday, but we want to invite them to be part of the family of what's happening first in our relationship with God, and then as we come together as a church to worship Him. Building relationships, bringing people to Jesus. Building relationships, bringing people to church. Letting us get out of the way, saying, God, I want you to work in my friends' lives. That happens when we have a genuine concern for people. And we go out of our way to build those relationships in a way that will be conducive for us bringing them to Jesus and, and to church. Let's pray.